So um, he passed away on Valentine's Day, actually. And I tweeted a picture of him and I said, wear a mask, get vaccinated. And the tweet went completely viral. And I realized that through our grief, I could reach other people and that there might be some good that could come out of this really um, horrible, frustrating loss. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, to information, and to each other. I'm Amivora. In New York City, it may feel like the worst days of the pandemic are behind us. But it was just a few months ago when the second wave hit. And it was around that time when the first doses of the coronavirus vaccine became available to those in our community who needed it most. If only they could get an appointment. Alarms of low supply, coupled with a confusing and disjointed registration system, left many eligible and at-risk New Yorkers without the vaccine. So, back in January, the Epicenter team decided to do something about it. We began actually booking vaccine appointments for the elderly, for essential workers, and for people in the community with underlying conditions. In the end, 8,000 people reached out to Epicenter for help or for resources, and the team scheduled 5,037 appointments. Epicenter NYC writer Jade Stepany spoke with seniors in the community who had just gotten the first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Today, Jade joins us and shares what she learned. So over the winter and into the early spring, I worked with Epicenter volunteers who were booking appointments. I also spent a lot of time talking to people in the community about their experience getting vaccinated in those early days. Some were really eager to get vaccinated as soon as possible, but others were hesitant. One woman I spoke with was 80-year-old Wendy Young. She had her reservations about getting the vaccine and didn't actually decide to book an appointment until her children talked her into it. They're medical professionals, so she really trusted their opinions, and that's what made her feel comfortable enough to get it. But this definitely wasn't the case for everyone. I spoke with another woman, 69-year-old Miriam Herrera, who got the vaccine with her sister, Carmen. The two of them felt really strongly that the vaccine is the best way to stop the pandemic. She even told me that she and her sister are alive today because of vaccines they received as children. She said she's very happy that the vaccines were available for New York. She got to reach her, the age she has thanks to the vaccine her mother gave her when she was younger. Whether or not people were totally convinced of the vaccine safety, almost everyone I spoke with had trouble booking their appointments. A lot of them actually got help from their kids. Wendy Young, who I just mentioned, her son booked her first appointment. But she actually ended up going there by herself because she didn't want to bother anyone. She traveled from her home in Forest Hills by subway to Mount Sinai on 10th Avenue in Manhattan and back. And in my experience, I can understand what these people went through. I was helping a Jersey couple in their 80s and spent two days trying. Finally, I got them booked, and both on the same day. They eventually found appointments closer to home that worked for their transportation situation, but it felt great to tell them the good news anyway. And when it came time to finally get vaccinated, it seemed like most had a really positive experience. Another person I spoke with was 96-year-old Lanner Pacheco. She got her first dose at the Bushwick Educational Campus in Brooklyn. And just like Wendy Young, she got the appointment with the help of her kids. Pacheco told me the vaccine was painless and also said that the medical staff and personnel exceeded her expectations. So it sounds like it couldn't have gone any better for her. I'm 
was very not painful or anything like that, no. And uh, uh, they send you to a, a room where you wait half an hour because uh, they keep you uh, observed in a case that you have any reactions or anything like that. And Miriam Herrera was also really enthusiastic about her experience. She and her sister went to a school in the Bronx to get vaccinated. English isn't their first language, but Herrera said there was a translator there as soon as they walked in, which made everything so much easier. It was everything was comfortable. It was clean. She had enough space to walk. She said that there were people that spoke Spanish. So right away, they found a person and they uh, translate for her right before getting the vaccine and after the vaccine. With all this wisdom at my disposal, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to ask elderly members of our community for some life advice. I feel like now that New York City is opening back up, it's an important time to evaluate how we live and how we treat each other. So Lena Pacheco had some really good advice. She told me it's important not to be afraid, especially of getting vaccinated. She said it's really the only thing we have in this fight against the virus. I feel like this is a really important message right now since the outreach has gone from helping people get appointments to now connecting with people who may be on the fence about getting vaccinated. No, you know, I, I, I encourage my friends, I said, go oh, and have the vaccine mm-hmm. because I said, it's the only thing we have. Mm. And Wendy had some great advice too. She told me that when you have a positive mind, everything will fall into its right place. She also talked about how important it is to eat healthy, exercise, and not to worry so much, which is something I know a lot of us struggle with. They keep on thinking negative, negative, you know, you're unhappy and generate a whole uh, body, all kinds of, uh, uh, all kinds of uh, reactions. And Miriam Herrera's advice was for everyone, but especially for Spanish speakers. She said, study, we live in a country full of opportunities. You can read more about the COVID-19 vaccine rollout in New York City and around the world and how we've gotten involved by visiting us at epicenter-nyc.com. We've also linked to a few articles we've written in our show notes. Next up, every week we're excited to introduce you to one of our neighbors. Today, I'm excited to introduce Kirsten Kuna. Kirsten has been volunteering for Epicenter since February 2021. She's been on the ground making vaccine appointments for our at-risk neighbors. Here's a little bit of her New York story. I moved to New York City in 2005. I uh, had been living in Boston at the time, and I met my now husband while I was living in Boston, and we started dating uh, long distance. I decided to move to New York. I had spent a lot of time in New York before that. My sister lived in New York for uh, at least 10 years on West 51st Street, and my father would bring us to New York quite a bit when we were when we were younger, but became a New Yorker myself in 2005 when I moved here from Boston. So what led me to volunteer with Epicenter is kind of a long story. It's, uh, you know, my personal story of my family's experience with COVID. My sister, who lives in Northern Ireland, she has pulmonary sarcoidosis in her lungs, so she was a high-risk uh, person to get COVID. And at some point, they, over in the UK, they, they had people come back to work in the fall. So she got COVID in November, later in November, and that was distressing, obviously, when she was diagnosed. You know, she wound up 
in the hospital and and she was on a ventilator for nine days over and included over Thanksgiving and uh, she she managed to get into this um, study and they gave her uh, the monoclonal antibody and convalescent plasma and it was kind of right before she went on the ventilator and the doctors there really credit the monoclonal antibody for saving her life we as a family we went through this experience with my sister on a ventilator and that was obviously very traumatic and upsetting and so when the vaccine came out you know we were we thought we had kind of dodged a bullet with my sister and you know when the vaccine started coming out we were all anxious to 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 get it to the people who are high risk in our family so um, I I started you know scouring the internet looking for information on when the vaccine would become available both here in New York because my husband is is in his 60s and in Ohio where my dad lived because he uh, was 84 and I was very anxious to to get um, to get vaccine for both of them so in New York they opened it up to I think 60 plus or 65 plus sometime in January in Ohio they didn't have as much vaccine so I was checking all throughout January for my dad and it wasn't available yet and then on it was I remember it was um, the day after the inauguration on January 21 I was talking to him and he said I think I have a cold and he had you know he stayed home he hadn't gone anywhere except a couple weeks before he had had a had to go to the hospital because his defibrillator pacemaker defibrillator he had an implantable device his medication was off and he had to go into the hospital and spend the night to have his medication adjusted so that was the only place he had been in the entire time we had kept him safe throughout the pandemic and so a couple weeks after that it was January 21 he called me and he said he thought he had a cold we found out that night that he did in fact have COVID and then the the next morning I got a an email from the Cleveland Clinic scheduling his vaccine appointment for January 28th. So we, you know, we missed the vaccine for my dad by days. That was, you know, really unfortunate. So once my dad was diagnosed, he was also admitted. He really wasn't that sick, but he, his oxygen level was, you know, a little low. He had, so they wanted him to be there to observe him. It was you know towards the end of the week, and I had a conversation with his physician about whether or not we could get him the monoclonal antibodies. But unfortunately, in the United States, the the monoclonal antibodies are only approved under their, or at the time, I don't know if it's the same now, but at the time they were only approved under the emergency use authorization for patients who are not admitted to the hospital. So since my father had been admitted because they wanted to keep an eye on him, we couldn't get him the monoclonal antibodies. So, you know, he, he was there and I couldn't get him out of the hospital to get him the monoclonal antibody, which seemed kind of crazy to me that this one treatment that, you know, could help people, you couldn't get in the hospital. So anyway, he was discharged in about, I don't know, four or five days. He was doing fine. He wasn't on supplemental oxygen and they sent him home. And, you know, I, I think typical COVID case, this happens to a lot of people, he started to deteriorate and then wound up back in the hospital, this time much sicker. And, you know, things started to kind of go in a bad direction. He 
you know, was put on a ventilator and then his kidneys started to fail. And kind of once you start to have, you know, all these multiple organs fail, you know, it's the outcome is, is not, is, does not look good. So, um, he passed away on Valentine's day, actually February 14th. And after he passed, I had never, I, I, I go on Twitter, I read things, but I don't tweet. I had like nine followers at the time, but I tweeted a picture of him on Twitter and I said, you know, wear a mask, get vaccinated when you can. And the tweet went completely viral. It wound up getting like two and a half million views. And I mean, it was retweeted by Jake Tapper and Maria Shriver and all these people. And I had like thousands of people sending me notes and comments about my dad. And people were saying it's great to, you know, share information. And hopefully this will help other people get vaccinated. And I realized that through what my family was going through and our grief and recognizing that so many other families in this country were going through the same thing, but I I realized that I could reach other people and that there might be some good that could come out of this really um, horrible, frustrating loss. So I kind of channeled all that, all that grief and loss into trying to help people get vaccinated because it seemed clear to me that, you know, I, I, I was reaching people. So I started, you know, in my building, I asked doormen and, you know, the people who worked here, if anybody was eligible, if they needed assistance. And I started, you know, just spending my time clicking refresh on all the scheduling sites. And then I saw Mark Levine had tweeted something about Epicenter and said they were looking for volunteers. And so I sent an email and, uh, and, and then I started making vaccine appointments for the the people who needed it in the city and it was it was remarkable i mean i i spent a, a few weeks kind of just sitting at my computer and making appointments for people and they were really really appreciative and some of them were you know similar to my dad they were in their 80s and they hadn't been able to make an appointment and you know some of the people needed help getting there and you know arranging rides for them and so you know, it, it helped me to feel a little less helpless about the whole situation. Um, it was kind of an empowering moment of, you know, working through uh, my own grief by doing things for, for other people and, you know, made me feel like I was doing something other than, you know, just kind of being helpless to, to the virus. And I do think it really helped get me through, you know, some of the, the the darkest days right after, right after my father passed in, in February. I definitely saw New York change during COVID. I live um, in Midtown East and, you know, there's just vast, empty retail space. So many restaurants have closed, you know, this area around here where I am, I'm all the way east, and this neighborhood r- relies on the the people who live in this community for, for the small shops, but you just get a couple blocks away, and the businesses there really rely on the offices, the people that come to work in New York every day in the offices, and those people haven't been coming in, but I'm hopeful that as people come back to work and come back to the offices, 
that those that those storefronts will reopen and I do think that we'll um, start to see a rebirth in that area and I, I feel like it's already starting to happen. Um, my favorite things about New York really is just how much there is to do here in New York City. You know, we have theaters, restaurants, concerts, museums, pretty much anything that you want to do at any time is available to you. And I think that that's really a unique and special gift that we have here in New York. My favorite New York City sound is, I guess, the, um, it's a bunch of sounds. It's the, it's the sounds that surround you when you go into the park and you're kind of away from the traffic and you have the musicians playing, you have kids playing, you have people laughing and talking and picnicking. It's kind of the sound of the living, breathing park but it's, um, it's usually set to music because there's so many musicians in the park. So that I think that would have to be my, my favorite New York City sound. Before we go, I'd like to share a short highlight of one of our most recent live streams. On Saturday, Epicenter NYC and TBN24 hosted an in-person District 25 City Council Forum. It was moderated by our very own Mitra Kalita, along with Habib Rahman from TBN24. Candidates were asked about quality of life issues, everything from open streets to garbage. And when asked to grade the city on its COVID response, all but two of the candidates gave the city an F. Our rents are skyrocketing, our immigrant workers excluded, and our Elmhurst Hospital utterly overwhelmed. I want to introduce personal finance classes in high school. So the students, when they graduate, they are well equipped uh, dealing with the, their life. I went to a Newtown High School, went to Queensboro Community College, and, you know, two and a half years in the college, I dropped out because that time I needed to uh, support my family. Why do I do this? Because I believe three values, freedom, justice, and the pursuit of happiness, which is why my family brought me here when I was three and a half years old. I am the proud daughter of Vietnamese refugees. My parents' first jobs in this country was as a nail salon worker and a cable repair technician. And as refugees to this country in the 70s, these were the only jobs that they could find. Low wages, no health care, and no job security. I have been involved in this community for a very long time, and I want to be able to, I think that I am the best candidate that can represent you, because I have the authenticity, the compassion, and the experience that matters. That's why I'm asking for your vote on June 22nd. Thank you very much. This live stream was done in partnership with TBN24. You can find the full conversation on our YouTube page. It's titled District 25 City Council Forum Live from the Epicenter. There's a link in our show notes too. Also in our show notes, we're linking to our next live stream. It's hosted by The Unmuted, our sister newsletter, and it's called Run the World, how women can succeed in this ever-changing workplace and what they should demand in a post-pandemic world. Be sure to add it to your calendar. It's on May 26th. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to tune in again next week. Epicenter NYC is a newsletter about creating community in the city we all love. 
If you or someone you know has a story to tell, we'd love to hear it. You can reach us at hello at epicenter-nyc.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter, Epicenter NYC. Right now, everything feels harder as we reimagine life. So consider us your companion to get and to give help, to expand the community and to connect with your neighbors. Tune in again next week. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika, and you can find more of their music on their website, and it's linked to also in our show notes. See ya!